Welcome to the A Jesus Church podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. We are really excited about what's coming up this next several months. Um, a lot of fun things. In fact, actually, we're going to be doing something starting in February that, as far as I can recall, we've never done here. Um, and that is, is we're going to actually teach through a minor prophet. Uh, we're going to be looking at this very challenging and beautifully prophetic book called Habakkuk starting early February. But as Shelby mentioned, we're going to be jumping into a new series in January uh, that's going to be called Going Deeper. What does it mean for us to go deeper in our relationship with Jesus as a follower of Jesus? Uh, and you will need your Bibles this morning. So actually, if you need a Bible, go ahead and throw a hand up. One of the ushers around the room would love to put one in your hand. Yes. So January is a great time for us to look at what it means to go deeper in relationship with God because we're jumping into a new year, new hopes and new dreams. And it's also a great time for us to look at what it means to go deeper with each other. Um, we are his church. We're his family and we need each other. So um, if you would stand with me um, for the reading of the word today, we're in John 1, 35 to 46. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophet also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. Jesus... Um, we just come before you today and we just say thank you. Thank you that you give us a sweet invitation to come and see about who you really are. Thank you for these men's discipleship in this moment where they just saw something in you and about you and your majesty and your power and they wanted it and yet you saw them first too. So Jesus, I just pray for each one of us today that we would grab a hold of this year and we would say, Lord, we are going to find you in ways we never have. Um, so, Lord, we are going to come and see this year. We're going to follow the church. Lord, so teach us. Be our good teacher today. And may we learn something about you that we just didn't know. And may we lean into that, Lord. So we love you in your name. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Thanks, love. 
I remember uh, before I began my high school year, my first year of high school, riding my bike to the school, to the football field every morning for the entire summer. I had a couple of friends that were trying out for the football team and they had peer pressured me uh, into trying out with them. Actually, they hounded me. Uh, but honestly, I, I, I was curious. There was kind of this mysterious glory around our football program at the high school. Uh, and, and it was partially because our school was the biggest. It was the largest one in the area. And our team had been undefeated for several years in a row. It was kind of a big deal. We had some farm-fed giants on our team uh, that, as I think back on it, were probably more adult man than they were actually high school boy. Uh, but hey, you know, you, get, you play with what you got, I guess. Uh, our coach, Coach Brack, uh, was a man I will never forget because he both put the fear of God in me uh, and every other person on the field and in the classroom, but he also taught me how to really write, which is a story for another time. But let's just say he was really, really, really intense. Uh, and he had this thing that he called a survival policy, okay? If you could survive summer tryouts, daily doubles, and hell week, you automatically made the team. And by survive, I mean all you had to do was not give up by the first preseason game. And I knew as I thought about it, like, I can do that. I know I can. My friends, you know, they tried. The ones that were trying out, they eventually gave up. They quit. Some of the players from previous years, they even quit. Even some athletes that were far better than me eventually quit. But I kept at it fighting forward, grueling practice after grueling practice all the way to the end of summer. The problem was I wasn't very good at football. Um, I mean, most of the guys on the team had been playing for years before high school, and I had played just about every other sport under the sun but football before high school, and I was kind of picking up the sport as we played and as we practiced. But I was also kind of hard to hurt. I mean, maybe it was just I had a really thick skull, um, but I was kind of like hard to beat down. And so, what they, and they tried. I mean, at one point in the summer, I got this nickname. They started calling me Puppy Dog. And it wasn't because, Puppy Dog, that was me. You guys can envision that? That was the guy on the football field that they called Puppy Dog. And it wasn't because I was soft. It was because after every really big hit, I would pop up with this dumb, stupid grin on my face. And then the coach would yell at me from the sidelines, McDonald, stop smiling. That was supposed to hurt. And you know, I don't know. Maybe it was just that I didn't have an angry enough spirit inside of me, but I did really enjoy it. I enjoyed playing football. I loved the challenge of it. I loved pushing myself to learn, going faster, doing better. And I loved being a part of a team. That was really fun. Now, and they did tease and they prodded each other. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that a couple of the linemen were actually trying to kill me. Um, but after a while, the, the common difficulty and the common pain, it created camaraderie and loyalty and mutual respect. I still remember sitting in the locker, locker room that the final week and the coach, he sits me down and he says, McDonald, you kind of stink at football. He did use other language. Um, you've made the team, but you will never see the field. Have you considered rugby? I nodded, understanding what he was actually asking. 
He wanted to honor his survival policy, but he also wanted to honor my hard work. It's interesting because I never lost the respect of the coach Brack or the team uh, as I left the lockers that day. And frankly, I ended up being way better at rugby. Maybe you've had a similar experience, a time when you chose to step into something really difficult. Maybe it was like led by curiosity or peer pressure or a mixture of the two of those things. You might have not even been very good at it, but just engaging like new ideas, engaging acts of creativity, physical endurance, it, it like woke something up inside of you as you did it. It like brought life up inside of you. There's something about an invitation to difficult things. A bar that's just a little bit too high. A call to common commitment and expectation, shoulder to shoulder, all in. There's something about that that's exhilarating, inspiring, and exhausting for sure, but it brings life. It's the challenges in our life that really make us. Let me say that again. It's the challenges in our life that really make us. The things in our story that have enough force to knock off our rough edges, to unstick stuck patterns and habits. And it's perhaps one of the greatest failings of the modern Western church that, we, that we've lost some of that challenge, settling sometimes more for comfort and safety. Now, don't get me wrong. Our souls do need some comfort and safety. Remember, we just celebrated Christmas, the, the peace and the comfort of the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. But our souls were also created for discomfort, for challenge, for risk, what followers of Jesus have always called faith. It's why we, we love a good adventure story uh, where an unlikely group of people embark on an unknown expedition, per persevering through resistance and achieving some impossible goal. And in many ways, this is kind of where today's story starts in John. John 1, picking up in verse 35, says this. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus pass by, he said, Look, or behold, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. John's version of Jesus's like disciple recruitment process, it starts back a little bit earlier than the other gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They describe the moments where Jesus literally like calls people to follow him. But John seems to portray some of those moments that led up to the call to follow. It, they say it takes like, what, six or seven times of hearing something repeated in order for it to start to really sink in. And John seems to describe some of those moments, the ones that are full of curiosity and relationship and wonder, these come and see moments. Come and, come and check it out. Go, go see what life with Jesus is really like moments. I mean, this was not the first time 
John the Baptist had seen and acknowledged Jesus as the Lamb of God. Just a handful of verses before, John had already said this. And there was relationship there, remember? Uh, Jesus was John the Baptist's younger cousin. The gospel writer had already gone to great deals of, of lengths to, to show us and to tell us that John's whole purpose, John the Baptist's whole purpose was to pave the way for Jesus, to point at Jesus. In fact, John, in this moment, loses a couple of his disciples. Uh, that would not have been something that would have been frustrating for him. That would have been something he was hoping for. These disciples were not abandoning their, their rabbi. No, they were likely the ones that knew John's heart the best. John would later declare that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. John he wasn't building his own kingdom. He was a preacher whose life reflected the things that he was teaching. A life that pointed at his Messiah. As an aside, we're in a time where public trust in leaders, including religious leaders, is at an all-time low. We need leaders like John the Baptist. Leaders who practice what they preach. The world needs leaders whose inside matches their outside. It was Nietzsche who said, show me you are redeemed and I will believe in your redeemer. Man, what an indictment on the church. I wonder how many people are waiting to see a church that actually looks like Jesus, where the inside matches the outside. Those are the kind of leaders that we need that our generation is hungering for. Anyways, John declares, look, there he is, the one that we've all been waiting for, God's sacrificial lamb. And then two of John's disciples who've been waiting for this moment, they catch John's hint and they begin to follow Jesus. And Jesus, he sees them and he turns around and he asks a simple but profound question. What do you want? Now, the author is playing with words here because his specific choice of words in the original language of the Greek, it, it suggests that Jesus is actually asking this question on two levels. One is the casual and the other is the confrontational. It's like when you bump into somebody that you haven't seen for a really long time and you ask them, hey, how are you doing? And, and you know, you can mean that question in two different ways, right? There's the, it's fine and I'm gonna keep on going with my grocery shopping or it's fine and now we're going to be standing in this aisle for the next 30 minutes. Anybody been there before? It's, it's, it's kind of, you know, inconvenient when those two paths cross the wrong way, right? This is the, this is the nature of this question. It, it's hitting on two levels. And the author is, he's playing with these words because he wants us to understand that this is a deeper question. D.A. Carson, he puts it this way. Jesus asks the two men who are following him to articulate what is on their minds, but the evangelist wants his readers to reflect on a deeper question. The Logos Messiah confronts those who make any show of beginning to follow him and demands that they articulate what they really want in life. Let that sink in. He demands that they articulate, what do you really want in life? What do you want, asked Jesus. What do you really, really want? It's more 
confrontation than it is question. Jesus asks these two young men that have chosen to start following, what is it that you want in this life? What are you really seeking? If life without Jesus was enough, no one would be seeking more. But inherently, we know that we're all hungering for more. More purpose, more joy, more peace, more significance, more love. The confrontation is an invitation to go deeper. The disciples, they respond though with their own question, where are you staying? Again, the author is playing with the language there. A more literal translation would be, where are you abiding? Which occurs 40 times in the book of John. Remember, this is the word of God who has come and pitched his tent amongst us who has come to abide with us, to be with us, to live life, to see us, to know us, to be known by us. And the disciples, they asked Jesus, what does life with you really look like, Jesus? We want to learn more. Not not just like where are you hanging out, but who are you really? Jesus asks on the one hand, what do you really want? And they counter with, well, What does life with you really look like? To which Jesus responds in his beautiful way, come and see. Come and see, not a five-point sermon, not a, a, well, here's the guidebook. It's come, be with me. Inviting them into deeper relationship. Come and spend time with me, says Jesus. See who I really am. Get to know me. Come and see is an invitation to take a step into deeper association, deeper allegiance, deeper discipleship. It's an invitation to abide with Jesus. But he carries on. Verse 40 says this, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So we learn that one of the two disciples is named Andrew. We think that maybe likely the other is John, the the actual author of the book. And the first thing that Andrew does is to tell his brother about Jesus. Andrew says, we found him. We found him. He goes, he goes to Peter and says, we, we found the guy, the one that we've been looking for. He, like John the Baptist, points at Jesus saying, in effect, this is the one. The one who our hearts have been looking for, our, our lives have been lear- yearning for. This is the one we've been seeking. The word he uses is the word Messiah. And it's a transliteration of the Hebrew word, which just simply means anointed one. Jesus was the king of Israel, the long-awaited, set-apart, consecrated son of David that they had all been anticipating. As a fun aside, this passage is often referred to as the Eureka text because of the repeated word find, found, finding. In the Greek, in the original language in the New Testament, that word sounds a lot like the word Eureka. Everybody know what I'm talking about, Eureka? Eureka. 
Eureka, that's it. Eureka, we found him. That's it. That's where it comes from. This is the idea. They had found him. Can you imagine the disciples like, Eureka, that's it. That's, the, that's what's supposed to be communicated here. A moment of intense, like excitement and enthusiasm. They had found what they were looking for. What's interesting is Andrew, he doesn't try to like convince Peter. Again, there's no like list of reasons why Peter should believe. He just brings him to Jesus. Yeah. Being with Jesus, it was enough for Andrew. It convinced Andrew. And he seems to figure that it will be enough for his brother. So he brings him. And I wonder if this isn't true for most of us, right? I mean, there really is something beautiful and powerful about the transforming life that we see. When we see somebody who's been utterly changed by the story of Jesus, it's, it's impossible to argue with that. But, but there is something else about when you simply create space for people to actually meet with God. Extraordinary things can happen. I mean, I, I, I think that's a part of the reason why Alpha is so effective. It's not about trying to come up with answers or try to argue people out of their beliefs. It's simply about creating a space for people to come to Jesus with all of their hurt, with all of their doubts, with all of their questions, creating space for God to show up and change that person's reality, rewrite that person's story, which is exactly what happens here, right? I mean, Peter... Peter gets a new name and a new purpose out of this interaction. It's as if he was asking, as if Jesus was asking Simon, who are you really called to be? Like, Peter, you might think who you're called to be. You might have some plan for your life, but I know you better than you know yourself. Who are you really called to be? Interestingly, we see that, that Jesus already had some inherent authority over Peter. He knew Peter's character. He knew Peter's destiny, and he spoke it over him. In the other, other gospel accounts, uh, the emphasis is on Peter and what he would be for the future of the church. But here in John, uh, as Carson points out again, however, the focus is more, as much less on what his name change means for Peter than on the Jesus who knows people thoroughly and not only sees into them, but so calls them that he makes them what he calls them to be. You catch that? This is that Jesus that knows people thoroughly and not only sees into them, but so calls them that he makes them into what he calls them to be. Man, what a beautiful freedom for us as humanity. We don't have to figure this all out on our own. We simply need to be with Jesus, get to Jesus, let him see who we really are and then give him the ability to call us into that person. It's beautiful. Jesus addressed Peter in relationship to what he saw in him, who he had the potential to be. And this is one of the greatest longings of humanity. Our own identities have been broken and twisted as a result of the enemy's original lie, but Jesus knows us. And he knows the answers to the deepest questions that sit in our souls. Because Jesus is the king that we've been looking for. The king who makes us into what he calls us to be.
I wonder, as I sat in this, this last week, I, I began wondering to myself, how many times have I sidestepped that calling in the moment? You know, moments where I've read about the reality of sonship in the scriptures, but instead have chosen to live with insecurity. Or, or moments where I've been praying and God has filled my mind with a powerfully creative idea that could be if only I had the faith to believe. And this, this is the part of going deeper that is available for everyone. Jesus wants to speak destiny over everyone. Friends, we, we all want to be believed in. I mean, some of us might put up a stronger front than others, but we all deep down want somebody to believe in us. All of humanity is the same. We want somebody to speak hope and possibility over us. Man, this is a part of this generational calling. The reason why this, I love this church so much. We've got people from every age category. And the calling that God lays on every single one of us is to pass what we have to the next generation, to, to believe in someone else, to go outside of ourselves and to see that person for who they are, who Jesus sees them to be, and to speak life and call them into his being. That's, that's all of our callings. That's why we're here. Jesus calls Peter to leave the life of a fisherman and to become a fisher of men. To leave the life of Simon and to become Peter, a rock in the hands of a master builder. I wonder if in 2024, 2024, if this same Jesus, who knows your coworker, he knows your classmate, knows your roommate, knows your spouse, knows your neighbor, knows you better than anyone so thoroughly who sees you, sees them, and sees into you and calls you by name. I wonder if this same Jesus could make you who he has called you to be, could take you deeper this year. Verse 43 continues. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see said Philip. So Jesus picks up a couple more disciples, curious disciples, actually calling Philip to follow him. It's interesting. In, in normal Jewish rabbinic model, uh, a disciple sought out a rabbi. If, if they had proven themselves, if they had enough qualifications and recommendations, they could go to a rabbi and they might be allowed to follow or study underneath them. In this case, Jesus turns the entire tradition on its head, searching out Philip. And later, a couple other disciples, see Mark 1, verse 17, Luke 5, 25. There's a whole bunch of others. And calling these ordinary men and women to follow him. These were not the most put together people. 
This wasn't like the best trained or the top of the class. They didn't have their, all their things together. No, in fact, in many ways, many of these guys were like the least likely to be chosen. Does that feel like you sometimes? I know it feels like me. And yet Jesus calls them and makes them what he calls them to be. As Philip encounters Jesus, he's, he's convinced. And, and, and the first thing that he does is he goes and he tells his hometown friend, Nathaniel. Philip says, we found him. This is the guy. Like John the Baptist, like Andrew, he points at Jesus saying, this is the one that we've all been looking for. In fact, he even adjusts the story a little bit, turning it into a, a we statement. You know, Philip seems to have no problems integrating himself into the story. This wasn't just Andrew and Peter's story. This was his story. You see, that's a part of what makes this story, our story, so beautiful. Like Brittany said earlier, as we go deeper in our relationship with God, we also go deeper with each other because going deeper with Jesus means going together. We are a Jesus church. We are a King Jesus family and we need each other to become who Jesus is making us to be. Now, Nathaniel's retort is hilarious, okay? Clearly, there was some small-town rivalry between Bethsaida and Nazareth, maybe a little too much competition in the synagogue intramural league. Um, but thank you for that laugh. Weston, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, it, it was funnier in my mind. It was really... Nathaniel asks, can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathaniel starts as a skeptic. He starts with his guard up. It seems that everybody has somebody that they can look down on. What's fascinating, and this is what makes Philip's response so beautiful, is that he doesn't argue with, with Nathaniel. He doesn't say, hey, Nathaniel, you're coming into this with way too many obstacles. Like that, that's not really, that, that's not what an open-hearted person would do, Nathaniel. You need to tear down some of those walls, Nathaniel. No, he doesn't. He says, come and see already having begun his process of becoming like his new rabbi, Philip mimics Jesus. Come and see. You know, instead, of, instead of trying to create a case, he just simply gives him Jesus. And he lets Jesus draw all men to himself. Man, there's, there's so much that we can learn from this text in John 1. But there are four responses that I want to I dive in a little deeper as we're wrapping up here. Four responses that I want us to consider as we think about stepping into 2024 and what it could look like for us to go deeper. First one, going deeper. What do I really want? Now this, this is a core question that Jesus asks all of us who are curious about following him. It's a question that, that deals with allegiance and motives. And it's a question that no matter how mature, how long we've been walking with Jesus, we always have to come back to. What do we really want? Because there's always something else competing for our affections, right? There's always something else that we, that we subtly slide in front of Jesus, and Jesus, he's so kind. 
and simply just asks us, what do you really want? Do you, do you really want your security built on something that can just be gone in a second or do you want it built on me, the rock that's immovable? Do you really want uh, your well-being based on what other people are saying about you or do you want your well-being built on me and what I say about you because I have the power to make you who I say you are? As we move into 2024, am I moving towards Jesus, laying down lesser desires in the face of my Savior, my King? Question number two, going deeper, where am I abiding? The disciples asked Jesus where he was staying, but it's clear that deeper question that the author is hinting at is one of abiding. And we're challenged by the same question. Are we abiding with Jesus? Like if Jesus is over there and I'm over here, why am I still here? Right? Everybody nod, right? Because where should I be if Jesus is over there? Hey, over here. How often in our day-to-day -day life, we don't do this. Jesus sits there waiting for us. Maybe, maybe it's in the morning for like 20, 30 minutes, just sitting in that one chair that you've got up in the, in the comfy spot. And you're like, Jesus is there waiting. He just wants some time with you. He's waiting there for you. An invitation is, well, why am I still brushing my teeth? I mean, please brush your teeth, but... The call to go be with Jesus. Maybe in 2024, it looks like a reprioritization so that I can really get to know him, get to know his heart, the things that he cares about, that I can reprioritize the things that get him excited so that I would get excited about those things. In 2024, what if I prioritize just being with him where real life is found in the first place? Question number three, going deeper. Who is he calling me to be? As Peter stands before Jesus, he's given a new name and really he's given an entirely new way of thinking about himself. Jesus makes us ready for the tasks he calls us to. He equips the called, okay? So maybe there's something in your story, some, some time way long ago, maybe when you had a lot less gray hair on your head, or maybe you had a lot more hair on your head, way back when, a time when God breathed some idea into your mind, into your imagination about who you could be, what you could be doing for the sake of him, for the sake of his kingdom. But it was just too hard and there was too many other competing things and so it got set aside. Who has he called you to be? What if, what if we went back to that place? Back to that calling? What if we believed that Jesus could do in us the amazing and impossible things that come into our heart when we spend time with him? Listen, I, I know. I know that tiredness and weariness, they're like, they're an infection that has gotten into our culture. I get it. And I don't want to belittle it or even set it aside, but sometimes we mistake tiredness for boredom. 
Sometimes we mistake weariness for monotony. Maybe what you need is not actually more rest. Maybe what you need is to try to reach for that bar that just seems impossible. Maybe life is waiting for you on that adventure that God is calling you into. Maybe Jesus wants to fill the sails of that idea that you wake up at night thinking about that would just bring so much joy. Maybe Jesus wants to make you who he's called you to be. Maybe in 2024, this is the year you step into that adventure. Last question, going deeper, come and see. What's my next step? I love this brief journey we get to see in the life of Philip, right? Jesus finds him. The one that Jewish people had been waiting for, looking for, frankly, are still looking for, for centuries, he finds out that those people, that, th that this person that, had, that they were looking for, this, this man, this amazing Messiah, is actually looking for him. Can you imagine the moment that that dawned on him? The one that we looked for is looking for me. But it's what Philip does with that information that really is so amazing. Philip sees Jesus live, lead, love, and he does what he sees. He steps into what he sees. He becomes who he sees. What would it look like if in 2024, we just took that next step? All of this, everything I've just been talking about, it gets summed up in one word. What would it look like to just participate? To get in the game? To, to, to come off the bleachers and just get out on the field. And you don't got to be good at football to get banged around, right? I mean, it's like we just are called by Jesus to get in the game, to get involved. And maybe that's what 2024 looks like for you and for me. To take that next step, to believe courageously that God could, would, wants to use you for the sake of his kingdom. Would you please stand? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at JesusChurch.org.